Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm honored to welcome Anna Dover. She's a pharmacy informaticist and director of product management at FDB. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Thanks so much for having me, Grace. So let's start by sharing uh, with us the FDB mission and why that is important to you. Yeah, that's a it's a great question. I um, made the shift to FDB a little over five years ago, um, and very glad I made the choice. I, I'm a pharmacist by background, um, and worked with FDB and and other similar products in my past life over a decade of that work. And what FDB does, we bring in important information and content to help clinicians make the right or the best decision for their patients and their care. And as a pharmacist, that goes very um, hits the core of me and, and the reach that we can have to help patients and help caregivers really provide the best care. That is awesome. So tell us more about that career path that led you to FDB. I mean, from pharmacy to informaticist, like, what was it like? Yeah, it's a great question. It's funny. I am going to date myself now a little bit. When I first started working in pharmacies, I, I started in retail um, and I, I worked in hospitals through my rotations and fell in love with the hospital setting. But I um, I started at a time that everything was kind of green screen, function keys, dot matrix printers. Um, and at the time, I thought, hmm, how could you practice pharmacy without a computer? Now, when you look at what we have available to us, the EHR, bedside barcode scanning, where we've come, where we've been, uh, I think it's pretty amazing. And um, I... I dabbled a little bit in the informatics space early on. I did a project to standardize um, NDCs and a charge master across um, uh, about 100 hospitals. Wow. Um, um, that was challenging then. And now when you think about the amount of information that is consumed and leveraged in databases, um, you know, it, it just continues to grow. And, and so for me, it was a new challenge in my career path. Um, I'm very passionate about reducing alert fatigue. I'm an old ICU pharmacist. And, and so, you know, every move I made would fire an alert at me by the time I was, you know, moving into informatics. And so it's kind of a personal mission for me. How do I help, you know, help support clinicians provide that good care, not fatiguing them, but catching the things that really matter. 
Hmm. We've heard a lot about, you know, physician and nurse burnout in the news. We don't hear a lot about that pharmacy burnout. What are their challenges in both the retail and the health system spaces? Well, time, time management is challenging. And I, I think something I realized as a pharmacist, it, we look like we're playing. We're on the computer. We're on the phone. Right. So it looks like we're not actually working, but so much of our time is focused on that computer, doing those safety checks, reviewing what's coming in, looking at patient lab values in the retail setting. It's always been challenging. But, you know, with the pandemic, pharmacists really stepped up to the forefront. They were they were on the front line vaccinating patients. And I'm amazed at how they've been able to handle it. But, you know, I don't know that there's a large staff augmentation in those settings. And and it is important to vaccinate. It's also important to provide folks with their drugs. Um, I know in the retail space, there's kind of a call to action. It's called pizza is not working. Um, So if you want to take a look at that, but it's something that pharmacists are burning out too. And and for a lot of, a lot of the same reasons that nurses and physicians are, are feeling that burden. Interesting. And how, uh, how do you think drug related CDS alerts might be impacting that? Um, do you feel like uh, they are impacting that? Oh, absolutely. I, and I think it's, it's one of those things in our company, we provide that content And it's important information. The hard part is contextualizing it to the patient or bringing in that information about the patient. Where are they in a care setting? So for me in the ICU, we had a one to two nurse to patient ratio. We had um, titration instructions, strict protocols, strict monitoring over time. We didn't need alerts for a lot of the things that we did because we had protocols and practices to prevent issue. But if you move to a med surge floor or medical surgical floor, no, that's different. There there may be things that they shouldn't be doing. And it's a different patient, a different setting, but the same information that's being leveraged for the decision support. So that can be very fatiguing in the critical care setting, missed in the med surge setting where there are other things that um, are common practice they're getting alerted on as well. So it's just really challenging in isolation each piece of information is important. It's bringing it all together. What does that look like? And how do you highlight the most important information? Yeah, it seems like relevance plays a really critical role here. And, you know, what have hospitals and health systems done to improve the relevance of these CDS alerts and improve the relevance of the information they're getting at hand? I think that that is still a struggle for many. Mm -hmm. Um, There's maybe a handful that are out ahead of the curve, on that, um, there's so much information to evaluate. It's challenging to find patterns. It's challenging to get good data to for decision making. That's really hard to get at. Um, you know, just that analysis, the analytics, the reporting. That's really hard for folks to manage. Um, and then, but then also deciding. So, who gets to decide whether or not something's important? Is it the pharmacy? Very often pharmacists, we tend to be more conservative. They train us that way. They, we're, the, we're that you know, line to protect the patient on the safety check, right? For, um, for a physician, though, it may be information that they're like, I already know. I'm a cardiologist. I accept that risk. Um, and then for nurses, they're, they're downstream a lot of times. So they may, they may not get an alert that's important because of the Swiss cheese model where it's moved through or they're put in a position where they're getting an alert that, well, they don't get to just discontinue the order. 
right? They, mm-hmm. they have to work with that provider to work back. So just there's so many challenges in the space and, and, and for the different organizations, they have to take into account the policies, but you know, the variability across the care settings and as health systems grow and consolidate, you know, there's, there's more uniqueness across the sites. And I think that can provide some challenges too. Mm. Tell us more about the Swiss cheese model. What is that? So you can think of Swiss cheese with this idea that, you know, ideally something is going to stop that error from coming through. But, you know, you find a hole here, a hole here, a hole here. And then the next thing you know, the error makes it all the way to the patient, which is the worst case scenario. So you just try to have some um, safety checks in place to prevent it from making its way through. I mean, that's really the goal that you're going to be able to stop it. And if one misses, the next one will catch it and and so forth. Unfortunately, things still work their way through. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm wondering how how are tools different now than they used to be? Oh, as far as um, alerting and. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about what I work on specifically at FDB. Yeah. Um, There's a tool we've had for over a decade now. It predates my time, but I get to manage it. It's a really cool tool. It's called AlertSpace, but it's a tool designed to customize our data feed from us. So it allows folks to understand why an alert occurs. We actually have some analytics features in there so they can say, hmm, this is our most prominent medication alert. It's always overridden, et cetera. And then they can look at the drugs participating in it and decide, hmm, we don't really care about that alert. We have other safety things in place, or we care about this information, but not for this drug or this drug pair, et cetera. And so they can tweak our content, almost like they're an FDB clinician, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, And while that's helped a lot of folks, part of why I came to FDB was actually to, um, to go the next level. And so that's where we bring in more information about the patient. And we have a, a product we've been live with in health system since 2019. Um, it's using a little different technology and integration, um, which interoperability is, it's there, but it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we do is we, we look at patient lab information, diagnoses, their care setting, the type of provider caring for them, and only alert when it really matters. So folks can filter off information that's less specific and, and alert when a patient actually has a high potassium lab, for example, as opposed to an alert that says this could happen. We're saying this is happening and this drug or these drug combinations could be causing it. Very interesting. Yeah. What, are, what are some ways that uh, these CDS tools can help improve that patient experience and care? Yeah, I think the key is it's it's a little upstream from the patient in a lot of ways in that it's it's arming the clinician with the most important information. So mm-hmm. they don't have to drive through a blizzard of alerts. They can they're only getting alerted when it really matters. I mean, there's an emotion factor that plays into this, too. The example of the high potassium level. Typically, when um, you know a physician is starting a drug that could cause an increase in potassium, they go look at the lab, then they enter the order. But the safety check is when they're entering the order, you can't tell that they've looked at the lab. So by trusting that they know what they're doing, following good best practice, which they typically are, now you can filter that off and then only alert if it's a completely contraindicated combination or if the lab is actually high. 
And that actually even brings in the ability to alert later in the workflow, the more likely clinical path that after taking the drug combination, now the lab increases. Well, that's where you really need it in the workflow. Just back to the five rights of, of CDS, right? It's so it's very, it's very exciting, but we've been able to show a reduction, demonstrate a reduction in volume of alerts hmm. and improvement of acceptance. So over hmm. 60% acceptance of the new alert, which is pretty incredible at one of our early adopters. And we have more, more data coming out from a larger health system uh, later this year that we're pretty excited about too. Wow. And so the acceptance of the alert is them saying, yes, this was relevant. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's showing that they took an action. They they took an action based on that alert. And if you look across, you know, it, it, it's variable. The metrics aren't really standard um, when you look at the literature. But you know, some folks I've heard anywhere from seven to fifteen percent acceptance is good. Hmm. Which is so very that's low. very good. Getting sixty percent is pretty exciting. It's not a hard stop. It's they can choose. They could just cancel, but they're responding to it in a way that's saying okay, I found value in this alert. I'm going to go take a second look at the patient or remove a drug, et cetera. So. Wow. And is that across the board then pharmacy, pharmacists and physicians within the hospital system? Yes, yes. And what's exciting is it's coming a little further upstream to the physician and they're finding value in it. Very often, you know, there are even buttons in health and EHRs. I don't know if you've seen them that say defer to pharmacist because the physician's like, I'm not really sure what to do with this, which makes sense. We're the drug experts. And sometimes it's a little nuanced. Um, but it's it's upstream now and it's providing valuable information. So that's really exciting. Do you think that this quality data at the point of care and 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 for the pharmacy and for the provider is actually potentially reducing payer abrasion? Because I do know that payers often are now having a role in saying, yes, we'll pay for this or no, we won't. And maybe better data could help with that. What do you think on that? I think that's a great point. I, I it's, it's interesting. We have payers as customers as well. We're across the entire healthcare continuum. So I talk about some of our newer decision support tools, but, you know, we're used in different ways depending on the care setting. And that's one of the challenges in the content we provide as well. When you're looking at duplications of therapy for a payer, it's a different experience than a duplication of therapy in an approved protocol, right? Um, so I do think you know, providing that context is important. I think the um, across the care continuum will continue to see uh, because the use is different. Um, mm -hmm. And there, you know, there are other ways to do that too. We have a sister company um, that provides um, evidence-based guidelines to payers as well. We have, you know, our sister companies across Hearst Health have a variety of uh, roles in the healthcare setting as well, where, you know, we really are just trying to provide the most, uh, the best evidence, the most relevant information in the healthcare continuum overall. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so I'm wondering, what does the future hold for drug-related CDS alerts? Well, I think there's more to come. Um, I'm very excited about some of the work that we're doing um, and the awareness. One of the challenges, I think the, the pandemic has been tough on clinicians. I'm hoping that seeing some of the ways that um, um, there can be more efficient implementations and maintenance of things will help. That'll provide more consistency and care overall. But you know, where we're heading, we've created um, a 
an analytics database that that can consume alerts and not just medication alerts, but custom configured decision support within health systems. So we're using data driven practices to identify fatiguing things. Um, while we hear from folks what their needs are, we can use the data from um, their experience and identify the patterns that are that are causing the most pain. Wow. And create the specificity that we need working with our clinicians. So I think we're going to see more nuanced um, information out there. Um, we Pharmacogenomics is a big space right now. We oh, also yeah. provide that content. Very exciting. It's similar in that it's, you know, a lab type of information. There are challenges in getting things into a discrete data state. But um, I think we're going to see a lot a, a lot quicker movement, I hope, in that precision space where health systems are recognizing the need. Um, we're starting to see it in smaller community-based hospitals, pharmacogenomic programs. And I think that's very exciting to make it available in those rural settings. You know, they deserve the same level of care that we do in the city as well. And I think it's I think it's very exciting. Yeah. Could you imagine the improved access to those types of opportunities will be fantastic for people of all locations. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to move on to learning more about you personally. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us about uh, about CDS alerts um, and pharmacy informatics. Um, but I, I'm wondering, what are some of your interests outside of work that keep you grounded and keep you chugging away at this tall task that you have there at FDA, FDB? Yeah, so um, I'm. I have a family. Um, I have a teenage daughter, and so it's a. She's starting high school in the fall, which is exciting and scary. Probably scarier for me than her in some ways. Uh, and a and a very supportive husband. So great family. So I spend a lot of time with them. Um, I really I enjoy gardening, and I really kind of hit my stride with it. Uh, in the pandemic, because I had more time to be home and dig in the dirt. So I find that really grounds me. Um, uh -huh. but, um, it is, it is amazing. Um, my focus is on native drought tolerant, um, wildflowers, attracting bees, oh, wow. and butterflies. Wow. And so, um, that's been a lot of fun for me. Although my husband doesn't enjoy that. I, um, hand weed as opposed to chemicals. And so it can look a little wild. Uh, <laughs> and then I also, I enjoy cooking. Um, I'm a bit of an amateur foodie. Uh, so it's nice to get to travel a little bit again and, and try some new things, but it's a yeah, family, Gardening, food, um, travel, those are those are really my favorite things. Mm, and so great for your daughter to have a strong woman as a mother, they, uh, a very uh, her hero. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, I think um, yeah, she's um, you know, she's she's a strong lady in her own right. And it's it's really fun to see her kind of grow over time and and learn. Um we just were on the West Coast and um she's she's really embraced travel and enjoying it and i think i think it's very fun to see places you've been through new eyes sometimes um and my husband's very supportive of he he feels it's important for her to have that kind of female um guidance in her life and i, I think mm. that that's really a wonderful thing that's awesome and you know with being a woman executive uh, i'm wondering what are things that you do to overcome challenges in your life yeah. So that's always a good one. Um, I think very often it's, you have to think about self-care. Um, I, uh, I 
I took a meditation class with my husband early in the pandemic. I find that to be very centering. Um, I think overcoming challenge is the biggest thing. I, I never worry that about solving the problem. I always feel like I can solve the problem. It might not look the way that we thought it would. Um, and I'm open to shifting focus, but it's more being forgiving of yourself as you learn and iterate through. Right. I think that's, that's one of my big things I try to remember. Just take a moment, be gentle with yourself, figure it out. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's kind of how I stay focused on the goal. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I would love for you to share, uh, what work you're, you've been most proud of throughout your career? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I really love what I'm doing now. Um, I loved working in critical care. Um, my favorite thing, and it's going to sound weird, but my favorite thing was responding to um, codes and running mm. the code cart. Mm -hmm. I always felt very focused that it was easy to just stay on target and do the best that you could for the patient working with the team. It's a very team environment. Um, but maybe what I'm most proud of, um, I think it's my ability to continue to learn and achieve and, yeah. and just adjusting my openness to change, which can be challenging at times too. But yeah, I think um, adapting, I, you know, I have certifications and trainings that I've done, but I think it's more my persistence and resilience that I'm most proud of because adversity comes in any role that you have. That's really how you manage it. Yes. Truly really critical to be adaptable and resilient. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any advice for women in healthcare and health IT. You've been in healthcare and you've been in health IT. So I'm wondering if you have any advice in particular for women in this space. I know you've probably heard this a million times, but it really helps to have a mentor. Um, and more than one and a variety of them. Uh, my, um, my manager has been a mentor to me at FDB and continues to be. And I've been able to um, have the support of several people within the company. I had this in healthcare um, with um, directors I reported to in the past. And, it, and it's, it's good to have a diverse group of mentors. So I think try and find that person that's going to help you be a touchstone. Um, and I think, it again, it goes back to persistence. There are challenges that are unique to the healthcare space, that are unique to the IT space, and then unique to the female existence. And so um, I think embracing who you are and then always keeping track of, you know, kind of your, your most important things. So family is always right up there for me with my work. And that's okay. It's, it's okay. Sometimes... You have to say no. Um, you know, for example, my daughter's starting high school in the fall. I just blocked the week. And mm. um, and my manager was supportive enough to say, okay, we'll do that on-site meeting the week after. Um, you know, totally understanding this is a pivotal time. She's starting high school. And so yeah. I think owning that and being okay with it and actually being proud of it because I think we deserve it as, as working women. That is so true. So true. Well, to finish this conversation off right, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, yeah, folks can find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out and uh, you can find us at fdbhealth.com if you want to learn more about our products or get in touch with other folks. That's terrific. Now, before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today? 
I do. Oh, tell me about your mug. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I'm a total pharmacy nerd and very proud of it. But my in-laws actually found this for me and said, we have to get this for Anna. But it is a mocked up prescription vial for coffee. And it has warning labels that tell you um, overuse may cause jitters. <laughs> Return to coffee maker if found empty and, and so on and so forth. So it is, I work in the right place to use the mug. Everyone gets a laugh at it. Oh, I just love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Anna. It was a total pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Grace. I enjoyed it too. And thank you folks for checking us out. Check out the Hit Like a Girl website and YouTube page for more great guests like Anna today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you.